Welcome to the July edition of BBRO Becast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and Knowledge Exchange Manager for BBRO. This month we'll be checking out the BBRO Labs to find out how the final stages of the AFID survey are panning out and what the potential prevalence of virus yellows is likely to be. So here we are, a full 12 months since we moved into the Centrum building at the Norwich Research Park. We've got quite a nice office space here and the labs, and it is the labs I'm now going to go to in order to search out a rather elusive character, um, someone who's been hiding away for the last eight, ten weeks, uh, working on the yellow water pan and checking for aphids. Yes, we're going on the search for Professor Mark Stevens. And here he is. It might sound a bit strange, but I believe you're fishing today, aren't you, Mark? Well, I always like to think I can fish every day, Chez, normally with a fly rod in my hand and uh, with a pheasant tail on trying to attract trout or even a sea trout or salmon if I'm really lucky. But I'm actually looking at uh, one of the final uh, aphid uh, samples that have come in from one of the yellow water pans. And we're getting to that stage of the season now where we've peaked with all the Mises persicae. There are still a few aphids coming in, but what I'm looking at the moment are aphids fabi. Uh, they have been a bit of a problem in the last sort of 10 days. And the other big problem that's uh, challenging the lab uh, at the moment, and Kate, when she's fishing out those samples, are all the pollen beetles. Mm. So they're not coming in to beat, but they are particularly attracted to those yellow bowls that we've got out there at the moment. And we are catching them by the bucket full. So they're not particularly nice because when they sit in a sample for 24 hours, they start to uh, emanate a nice smell. I wish it was a nice smell, but uh, yeah, they're starting to rot. So it's causing us some challenges at the moment. But uh, yeah, aphid numbers, I would say, are very much uh, dwindling as we get into uh, early July. And what growers don't understand is the fun side of BBI. When you get those samples in and you open them up. Chess, we've seen it all over the years, all sorts of things. Uh, but you know, they're there to, to serve a very important purpose with regard to aphid monitoring. And once again, alongside all the aphid counts that we've had uh, from the field, from the 50 sites, BBR have been running the yellow water pan network at all our trial sites. And what it has shown is really reinforcing all the messages we were putting back out in, in March that it was going to be a busy aphid year. And that's exactly what's happened. We've been at the height of the season catching six, seven, eight hundred misers per skier a week at some of these sites. We're down at ones and twos now, so you can see what's happened. Yeah. Lots of beneficials out in the crop. Most of the crop is way beyond uh, threshold for misers per skier, but we are starting to see the first virus symptoms and have been now for about four weeks. What is going to be fascinating is just how effective the sea treatments have been. Certainly from what we've seen so far, it does look that there is going to be sort of like two sides to the harvest this year, isn't there? Uh, very much so. So I'm hoping, but it's still slightly too early to really give a, a complete picture that the sea treatments have enabled the population to be kept down at low levels. And aphid needs to feed to acquire the chemistry. And if it's carrying virus, you'll get primary infection. But what hopefully they've stopped is secondary spread. And that will have hopefully occurred at 75% of the area because that's where the sea treatments were used. 
you know, sprays have clearly been used on the untreated beet, and we know that you know, some of sadly I've had to use all three sprays that were available. And we also know that some of the cruiser treated crops towards the end have needed a top up spray as the pressure mounted. But we are seeing individual plants and small patches uh, throughout, uh, and we'll continue to monitor that throughout July and August to get the full picture of virus yellows, because I do think it will be quite a challenge for some, sadly. It's just reflecting exactly what we thought would happen. If you don't get a winter to take the aphids out and continues to develop and be mild through March, April and May, as we've had with little rain, then those aphids continue to build and spread. The other thing is the beneficials have built as well, although they did seem to be behind the curve slightly, although more recently that's not the case. But it's going to be one to watch. And yeah, just another final comment about uh, Aphis Fabi. I know we have taken a number of calls within the BBRO plant clinic and direct calls as well to the team. Don't panic. Don't be over alarmed. We are used to seeing high numbers of black bean aphids uh, in previous years. I've done trials uh, over the last 20 years where we've treated there and there's no economic benefit to using aphicides. Let nature take its course. There is a threshold which is over 100 black bean aphids per plant in the field. It's massive numbers. Just let those beneficials take their course. And also you'll get uh, entomophora, which is a fungus that attacks them as well, which will suppress their populations. But we're not alone with black bean aphid issues because most of Europe seems to be suffering as well. So uh, uh, they don't transmit beet miles or beet chlorosis, but they can transmit beet yellows, but they tend to be sedentary and don't tend to move. So don't be alarmed by black bean aphids at the moment. And also growers shouldn't be alarmed to see small patches of, of virus yellows because we'd almost expect that while they've got virus carrying aphids in the area. It's when it's the wider secondary spread that this issue. So. Um, Please don't panic immediately if you see a few odd spots. Exactly, Chairs. And from the diagnostics we've done so far on the aphids, we're roughly around about 1% carrying virus. We've got a lot more still to test uh, because we've been playing catch up with large numbers of aphids uh, in the team. But uh, it's nothing untoward. But yeah, if you've got concerns with virus yellows, the plant clinic's there to help or just inform us so we can keep a close eye on uh, because those symptoms have started to develop and will continue to develop for the next sort of six to eight weeks, I would anticipate. Mm. And as we arrived here, um, I came through what we call the confirons. Can you just tell us a little bit what, what's happening with those and yeah. what they're here for? So we're in, in the lab today rather than the field, and we do have a number of units, confirons or sanyos as well. We've got some small, these are small growth incubators where we can set up the temperature and the lighting regimes. We use these on a uh, relatively small scale, some of them the size of your fridge freezer. Uh, the Convirons are probably three times that size. Uh, and it means we can control everything that we need to do, as I said, light, temperature and watering regime as well. We can do small scale experiments in these, uh, but we also use them for putting our cultures in for aphids and particularly the virus. So some of the work we've been doing, or my colleague Susanna Cobb with her PhD, we've been keeping individual strains of the viruses in those uh, for inoculation of some of her work. But it just provides us a more uh, controlled facility for BBRO to do this type of work, in addition to the larger glass houses that we use for, for other things that we have over at the UEA campus, uh, the university campus here in Norwich. And I think the staff have certainly found those a bonus because not only does it help in the research that we're delivering, 
but they also give up an awful lot of heat. So um, in the wintertime, we're, we're all standing around the environments, aren't we? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we can be. It depends on what temperature they're set up, and they also give a lot of light as well, so uh, it can avoid the seasonal dis uh, disorder as well. So, uh, uh, yeah, they have their values not only for all the experimentations, but for keeping staff happy too. Right. So, Mark, it's quite noisy in here. If we perhaps go somewhere a little bit quieter, and um, hopefully you'll just update us a little bit about the situation on fungicides. Yeah. Right, that's better. So we've actually gone to one of the, the stairwells, so um, hopefully you can still hear us okay. Um, Mark, I know you've been desperately waiting for news of Caligra. Um, I understand we don't know anything as yet. Perhaps you could just update us what is going on. So we're now in early July. Uh, the good news is we have had no reports of foliar diseases, unless you're going to start sending samples in now. Uh, but from our own intel from BBRO trials and wider, uh, no powdery mildew or rust or even Socospora. Uh, following that warmer weather a few days ago. Uh, but uh, that we are now coming into the season uh, where we need to think about foliar disease control. We do have various products already fully approved. So uh, the first one is Escolta uh, that actually is in its use-up period. But I know some of you will have that on farm. Uh, and then you do have the options to use Priory Gold, uh, angle, there is some flutriophil uh, available, uh, which is on label for Cercospa and Ramularia, uh, and, and then uh, things like sulfur and whatnot for powdery mildew potentially. But what we have been trying to do working in the wider industry is to see if we can gain additional fungicide chemistry for the future. And one of those has been Caligula from, from Bayer. Uh, and that uh, has the SDHI chemistry. As it stands at the moment, uh, it isn't approved, but we are keeping a very close contact with Bayer. Uh, and if things develop uh, and it becomes available for the 22 season, then we'll make sure that this is put in the BBRO bulletin uh, and onto the BBRO website. And I'm sure you'll be contacted more widely by your agronomists uh, and you'll probably hear from other sources as well. So we do have a portfolio of products that could well be extended before the end of the season that will give you an additional uh, product to apply, which will be really important because it does have SDH, uh, SDHI chemistry that could be used for controlling uh, and providing additional support to the products that we currently have. And if you want to refer to the products that are fully available, please go to the BBRO reference book because there's a whole page there of the products that are. So you've just mentioned Socospora, and I know, because uh, I'm getting the daily emails now, we've just started the Socospora risk forecasting. I think they'll be open to growers from the 1st of July, although we won't actually be sending out texts and things about it until we start to see the temperatures rise. So although we've got this lovely warm weather, we haven't actually hit the humidity levels this year, have we? No, and that's the important thing to mention, Jez. It's several factors that trigger that warning. And although we have had temperatures as high as 33 degrees in East Anglia already uh, for a day, uh, then we just haven't had the other factors that are important, which is this high humidity or, or moisture. And you need them to go hand in hand for that to be triggered. And I think one of the biggest uh, factors uh, that we learned from 2020 is warm nights as well. When temperatures stay above 20 degrees, that really put the pressure on the crop. Uh, when we did see Sucosper. So the forecast will be up and running. 
it will be there to a postcode level again, which is really powerful. So as and when that starts coming out, please keep an eye on it because hopefully that will help support you know, and, and then check your own crops as well, because the one thing we don't want uh, is Stocospa to uh, establish itself, particularly if we've got some virus out there, because virus CIs and Stocospa do not go hand in hand together very well. And we do not want defoliation of the crop as we go into early autumn. And that's something with the risk forecast, although we will be sending out um, details about what's going on. If we find that a particular area is at risk, um, we are using the postcode for that, we will send a direct text to the growers in that area to explain that they need to get out and look at the crop. This is not going to be a forecast or a, a notification to get out and spray. It's for you to go out and look at your crop and just check whether or not you've got any signs there. Yeah, very, very important point to stress, Jess. Yeah, it, it's there to help you, but it's there to encourage you to check your own situation. Yeah, and we could be monitoring that right through from now until September, depending on the weather that we have or going even, forward. Even potentially October, let's hope not, but it will go right through July, August, September, and we'll just keep an eye on the situation. Bang goes those days when I used to look forward to an Indian summer. <laughs> well, if we get an Indian summer, then we might get more Sarcospora, so it's, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. Just. Yeah, well, thank you ever so much, Mark, and uh, I'll let you go back to your fishing. Thank you. As mentioned, please watch out for any texts relating to the Scospora risk forecasts and keep an eye out for the advisory bulletin for the latest fungicide news. That leads me to wish you light rain and plenty of warm sunshine, the happy beat and a good cereal harvest. Thank you for listening.